Lords of Limited is proud to be brought to you in part by StarCityGames.com. Not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web, they're also the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies. For more information, visit StarCityGames.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is 33rd place finisher at GP New Jersey, Ethan Sachs. How does it feel to have cashed a GP? Feels great. I got to say, you are the hypest hype man, I think, that ever was. was, uh, Just a great introduction. Yeah, it feels great. That was my goal uh, once I knew I was going to make day two, and I got there, and I feel great about it. Yeah, you absolutely should. I was my first day two as well, and it was super cool to do a call draft on day two of the GP. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, it's it's very thrilling. I also, also don't find it that hard to remember the picks, which is surprising because the only times that I draft, I'm staring at my picks the entire time. Yeah, it was not difficult for me to do that at all. Honestly, the thing that was the hardest for me was fumbling with the cards while I was counting them out, trying to get them to my neighbor. <laughs> yeah, when you have to like fan them out to your left. Yeah, I felt bad. So I had, I, I was passing to some name drops here. I was passing to Andrew Ellenbogen in draft one and Chris Bakula in draft two. And both times I, I was like super like, oh, so I'm so sorry. I'm fumbling with these cards. It was uh, <laughs> not my not my best work. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, very, very exciting weekend for the Lords of Limited, both day twoing GP New Jersey here with the format very, very fresh for everybody. It was nice to get to come out as as winners in, in multiple respects this weekend. So we've got a lot to talk about there and we want to talk about Theros sealed in general, but some housekeeping things to get through first. Ben, I know you don't want to, but we have to check in on the trophy leaderboard. Yikes. So I am 16 drafts deep, uh, 28 and 19 overall record, two trophies for a 60% win rate have been struggling in the format. And I think that bore itself out at the GP a little bit, although I do think my drafts at the GP were tough. We'll go over those a little later in the episode. I have faced about every busted rare in the set on multiple multiple games and i do think some of them are beatable and things like that but hoping to get that win rate up over the next week or two yeah i'm at uh, 20 drafts which is not a lot for me but i guess because i've been doing a lot of sealed as well and also i haven't played magic online in like five days which is crazy for me i think that's got to be my longest stint in i can't remember how long uh so i've 20 drafts deep, 40 and 19 win-loss record, six trophies for a 68% win rate. And then speaking of sealed, I did eight pools on Magic Online, 26 and 13. No trophies, no five O's for me, uh, but just that clean 67% win rate. Yeah, I have done four MTGO sealed pools for a 13 and 7 overall record for a 65% win rate. Yeah, but we were crushing it in the paper events in Sealed, and we'll get to that in, in just a little bit. But before that, we've got to talk about the Patreon and Ben, holy patrons, Batman. How awesome is it to go to a paper event and have so many people come up to you and just be like, hey, I love the podcast, be able to give them a sticker, get to talk to folks that like you've seen in the Discord or seen on Twitch chat. It just is so exciting. It was incredibly heartwarming. And that's no, I mean, that sounds so cliche, but it was so nice for so many people to come up and say hello. Like I I felt like a miniature celebrity, which is just unreal because you and I started this podcast and we were both absolutely nobody. Uh, And it feels like we're sort of somebody now and that there's an actual Lords of Limited community of people that care about not just us, but each other's performance in the Discord. And there were a lot of people there at the GP that did really well. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of feeling like many celebrities, can I read you a piece of text from the CFB coverage page? Ooh, please do. Going into the second day two draft, no one remains undefeated. Some of yesterday's 9-0 or 8-1 players moved to 11-1, and many well-known names, including Chris Pakula, Ethan Sachs, Andrew Ellenbogen, Reed Duke, Alex Magelton, and Tom Ross are hot in pursuit at 10-2. Holy cow, that's so awesome. Many well-known names. I didn't see that. That's so cool. That's incredible. Yes, Dunlock uh, shared that with me in my Discord. I am like floored by that. That still like makes me giddy to look at. Um, But anyway, so speaking of the Patreon, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where you can go to give back to the show if you so choose. And if you do, we want to give you access to any number of things, depending on the level of patronage you choose to be. And everyone gets access to the Lords of Limited Discord, which is popping off. It was really, really cool to get to, uh, you know, every time there's a paper event, we like to make a thread for that event so people can get in touch with each other. And that was really cool. We got a lot of people who day two'd, who 5 3 who did great in PTQs this weekend. So it was great to get to root on 
the community, either from afar or at the event. So that was really awesome. And each and every week, we want to make sure we welcome our new patrons to the fold. And we have a ton of them this week again. We are very, very thankful for that. We're going to welcome to the fold Allie, Wesley, Simon, Alex, Patrick, Warren, Bart, Ryan, Anthony, Max, Clinton, Zendra, Nathan B, Amaranth, Frank, Revan, Tristan, Nathan, Alex, David, Jelly Redbird, Jan, James Y, Rob, Jerome, Chow, Michael, Ryan, Matthew, Jeremy, James D, Daniel, Nathan, Brandon, Jared, another James D, Postscript, Matthew, Bill the Cat, Kai, Parker, Eric, Richard, Alex, Chris, Edwin, Sam, Matthew, Kevin, Dan, and our first ever MPL member of the Discord, Autumn Burchett. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough, and I really do mean that. We cannot say thank you enough for all the support we've received, not just from this bunch of patrons, but from all of our patrons and everybody that listens to the show and that just thinks we do a good job. That was the thing, even more than people coming up and saying hello just the number of people that said, hey, like, we really love your podcast and it's obvious that you put a lot of hard work into it and that you do the reps on MTGO. Like that means a lot because I do think that's something that you and I both take a lot of pride in. For sure. Yeah. Just it was a very, very, very heartwarming weekend. All right. But into that content that we work so hard for, Ben, let's springboard the discussion here with a nice fresh roundtable of Theros Beyond Death. Are you ready? Lay it on me, baby. All right, so this was a draft I did last week. Pack one, pick one. You see the following cards as options. There's Witness of Tomorrows. That's the four and a blue, three, four flyer with three and a blue scry one. There is an Omen of the Forge, one and a red for the Flash Enchantment. When Omen of the Forge enters the battlefield, it deals two damage to any target. You can pay two and a red to sack it and scry two. Ben, where are you at with Omen of the Forge? Is it, is it cracked your top three commons or is it still out like uh, your hot take from the crash course? It's all like very murky with Underworld, Ragehound, and Incendiary Oracle. I think I like it better than one of the two drops. I'm still not sure what order those are in. We talked a lot at our limited meeting about the difference between Incendiary Oracle and Underworld, Ragehound. And I kind of am lower on Ragehound. I think, I think I'm think i joining you in that camp. So I think Omen of the Forge is in my top three. Ragehound might be out. The first copy of Ragehound is so good, but it does tend to be a little awkward at times later in the game. I don't know. Where are you at on that discussion? Yeah, so I definitely have Incendiary Oracle at number two behind Iros' Blessing at number one. And then it's tough. Like, I think Omen of the Forge and Ragehound sort of are tied. I think I'm taking the first Ragehound before the first Omen, but then I'm taking the first Omen over the second Ragehound. But I don't really want multiple Omens in my deck, I don't think. Like, certainly not more than two, but even more than one. I'm not high on this card very much. Right. I think the first one's pretty good, and they have diminishing returns after that, unless you value Final Flare pretty highly, which is the two in a red instant as an additional cost to cast it, sack a creature and enchantment, and it deals five damage to target creature. The higher you value Omen of the Forge, I think the higher you get to value Final Flare. That's a good point. I, I keep forgetting that Final Flare works really well with the Omens. Anyway, so uh, Witness of Tomorrow's Omen of the Forge. And then best common in the set, probably pushing the other two out. We have Myers Grasp, one in a black for the aura. Enchanted Creature gets minus three, minus three. And then looking at the uncommons, I think the best one here is Acolyte of Affliction. Two black green for the two, three. When it ETBs, you mill yourself for two, and then you may return a permanent card from your graveyard to your hand. And the rare in the pack is Temple of Malice. That's the black red Scryland. Yeah, so very quickly, we're narrowing this down to Acolyte of Affliction versus Myers Grasp. Yeah. And I think it's just a, a power level versus color commitment issue here. So Acolyte of Affliction is the best card in the pack, but the question is, are you willing to go into two colors for a gold uncommon versus staying single for the best color in the set and the best common in the set? And I think you are not, is my answer. I would be on Myers Grasp here, pack one, pick one over Acolyte. That was my thinking as well, and I landed on Grasp. Moving on to pack one, pick two. I think we're going to diverge here. Pretty weak pack. Uh, commons to consider if you wanted to say black, there's an underworld charger. That's the two and a black three, three, the camp block, and it has escape for four and a black exile three cards, and it escapes with two plus one plus one counters on it. Uh, a couple other good uncommons in the pack. There's the fishify, ichthyomorphosis, two and a blue for the aura enchanted creature is an O one fish and loses uh, all other abilities. Hero of the pride, one and a white for a two, two. Whenever you cast a spell that targets hero of the pride, creatures you control get plus one plus O until end of turn. I feel like we're sort of having to, you know, swung hard in one direction, really liked hero of the pride going into the crash course, swung hard in the other direction 
after playing with the set a little bit and sort of writing off this heroic go wide thing that red white was doing. And it seems like things are swinging back in the other direction for that deck that the red white deck really does get there and really does value a card like Hero of the pride. Has that been your experience? I have not been able to draft the deck, but I have watched Kyle Rose's stream and Alex Corticals has as well. I think the key to making that deck tick sounds like is rapid flames targeting your hero of the pride as well as making some things unable to block and just pushing a ton of damage that way to close the game out after you get in some chip damage early on yeah it makes sense and then we've got another rare in this pack another temple temple of abandon which is the red green scryland yeah so with a very good black card and a very weak pack here a lot of cards of comparable power level nothing really sticking out I had a Maz on my channel the other day, and he was talking about uh, me herpaderping around a little too much in draft. And that sort of was in my head at the GP a little bit too, because I started with four cards of four different colors in my first draft. Um, but I have taken that to heart a little bit that if I have a card, I really want to play pack one, pick one. I'm going to try a little harder to stay in that color if I can. I mean, he was going a little over the top, I think, with it. And if you're interested in the discussion, uh, it's highlighted on my Twitch page, twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. You can go watch that VOD. But very interesting things to think about there. And I think ultimately that points me in the direction of Underworld Charger here because nothing else is really enough better than Underworld Charger that I want to branch out into a second color. And I think cutting cards of the best color in the set is going to pay some dividends as well as getting deeper into it. Yeah, I love to herpaderp in a draft. So I wasn't huge. I wasn't a big fan of taking Underworld Charger here, though. It's fine and you'll play it. I just didn't want to pigeonhole myself. And I do really value the Scrylands. And so out of a weak pack like this, I think Temple of Abandon gives me some flexibility. If I end up black green or black red, I will play it for sure. And I just didn't feel like I was missing out on anything else. In retrospect, I think after hearing how high people are on Hero of the Pride, I think I might have taken that here uh, instead. Yeah, I, that makes sense to me. But Hero of the Pride is not going to go with Myers Grasp super well. I guess there's a black white deck with Sentinel's Eyes that is pretty good. Um, I, I still like Charger here, I think. But Hero of the Pride it would be my second choice out of the pack for sure. Yeah. Pack one, pick three. See the following cards as options. In terms of our top commons, there's only really one. It's Ichthyomorphosis. Again, moving on to the uncommons, we've got a Mischievous Chimera, the blue-red 2-2 flyer. And whenever you cast your first spell during each opponent's turn, it deals one damage to each opponent and you scry one. And there's also Heroes of the Revel, four and a red for the 4-4. Four, four. Comes along with a 1-1 one, one Seder token that can't block, and it has the hero text of when it gets targeted. Everything you control gets plus one, plus zero oh until end of turn. Yeah, this is a tough pack. So best black card in the pack is Grim Physician. So definitely not taking a black card here. I think Ichthyomorphosis is out of my top blue commons. How do you feel about that? I disagree, but I also don't feel like I know what's going on with blue still. Yeah. So I think the best card in the pack and the only card I'm really considering here is the Mischievous Chimera on power level. I guess you could make a case for Heroes of the Revel, but you really don't want your five drop to come down and provide value. You want your five drop to close the game in an aggro deck. So I think I'm on Mischievous Chimera here. Yeah, that's what I landed on as well. Moving on to pack one, pick four. Let's keep herpaderping our way through things. Uh, <laughs> there's another Underworld Charger. There's a Mogus's Favor, which is probably still slightly worse than the Charger. Um, moving on to the Uncommons, there's two left there's sea god scorn the four blue blue sorcery to bounce up to three target creatures and or enchantments to their owner's hand and then there's hero of the nixborn one red white for a two two comes along with a one one white human soldier creature token and has the hero text yeah this is interesting here so i would be very curious if we could skype amaz in right now if amaz would be on mogus's favor for me that is a little too aggressively trying to stick to your first pick and one color here so by far the best card in the pack to me power level wise is Hero of the Nyxborn. And I think there's a pretty significant gap in power level between that and the other cards. So I would take Hero of the Nyxborn here despite not really having anything to go along with it as a fairly large signal and hope to move into red white. Yep, that is where I landed as well. So I'm sort of all over the place. I've got a black removal spell, blue red gold card, red white gold card, and a red green temple. Pack one, pick five. We see the following cards as options. Holy blue cards, Batman. There's five of them in the pack. Vexingal, the 2-2 Flash Flyer. Elite Instructor, the 2-2 that when it UTBs, you loot. Brine Giant, the 7-mana 5-6 with sort of affinity for enchantments. One of our new pet cards, Sweet Oblivion, the one in a blue target player mills four cards and has escape for three in a blue exile four cards. 
and Stinging Lionfish, one in a blue for the 2-1 enchantment creature. Whenever you cast your first spell during each opponent's turn, you can tap or untap target non-land permanent. Yeah, I think this is a very interesting pack to receive after the last one. So really nothing to go along with the Hero of the Nyxborn plan that we just picked up. So I think mm-hmm. we're shifting gears again. If you had gone Mogis's favor, you'd probably be taking Omen of the Dead here, but I would be pretty worried about Black not being super open at that point. I think with what we've got, Stinging Lionfish sticks out to me as the best blue card in the pack, pairs very well with what our Mischievous Chimera wants to do. And I think I would take that here and maybe be looking to get deeper into blue and potentially blue red. Yeah, I like Vexing Gull quite a bit as well, but I do value the two drop in blue just because blue doesn't really offer any two drops that are aggressive. And I think that's what the blue red deck wants to be doing. So I grab the Lionfish here. And again, it does have synergy with what the blue red deck wants to do, which is you know, pass the turn and then do something tricksy. So I grabbed that here. Um, And then that lane seemed to present itself pretty well. So next pack, I saw a Deny the Divine versus a Vexingal. Now we were talking about this before the show. I landed on the Vexingal. You said you're higher on the first copy of Deny. Yeah, I think Deny is probably my number two blue common behind the Blue Omen. Yeah, so my feeling is, is that in Blue Red in particular, you would rather have more... threats you'd rather be able to stick more threats than answers because i think that's a get ahead stay ahead deck so while i do think deny the divine would be good i think more copies of the flash flyers are going to be better more often that makes sense to me in blue red for sure yeah and then you know got another fexing gull pick seven we got a deny the divine pick eight wield the black red temple because i guess nobody values scry lands in this format and uh and ended up getting a pretty nice low to the ground blue red drago deck only ended up with those two cards the lionfish and the chimera as like quote unquote payoffs but the deck still worked really really well i just ended up losing in the finals very sweet all right ben let's let's dive into talking about sealed in general and then we can get into sort of the specifics of how our weekend went and the the events that we played what uh what are your thoughts on theros beyond death sealed yeah if i were going to sum up theros beyond sealed in a phrase i think it would be threat density i think that's really what i'm looking for in sealed so in the few practice seals i did I had a deck that I thought was very good that featured Ashiok and Pelucranos and some ways to churn through my deck and dig for them. And I just sort of found my deck was a lot of air. Other than that, though, there was some fixing and, you know, some some draw and some smoothing, a lot of a lot of fluff and air. And when Pelucranos got answered or I didn't have a board to protect Ashiok, the deck didn't really perform that well. And I ended up three twoing, And that sort of got me thinking that maybe I wanted to include more cards that maybe just had some vanilla stats. And I was also having some trouble against decks that were just running cards with power and toughness. So I think that's where I'm at sort of as a concept on sealed. Do you have any thoughts? I think the format boils down to two things for me. One is bombs and the other is consistency. So I do think that cards like Dream Trawler or Ashiok are huge forces and and sometimes huge feel bads. But I think having a game plan that can back those cards up is even is just as important as having those cards to begin with, as, as you sort of mentioned, like Ashiok doesn't do much good if you can't protect it, you know, Um I think if you can't answer the questions that your opponent is posing, like if you don't get a good suite of removal, I think you want to be posing those questions to your opponent. And I think we'll get to this maybe in a little bit, but I think your GP deck was a great example of this. You know, like I came over to you after deck building and you were like, my deck is terrible. Like I didn't get any good cards, (laughs) you know, and you just had sort of like red green, not even really great curve, but just you had threats in your deck and it sounded like you really you know, ended up playing circles around your opponents or like just playing really, really tight and maximizing those threats that you were posing. Yeah, I think that was very true. And I do think so, for example, my my deck featured two copies of Flummox Cyclops, which is a terrible magic card, just not a card you want to put in your in your sealed deck at a GP. And but it does a reasonable impression of a voracious Typhon if you are attacking. I mean, it is 4-4 and it comes down on turn four or comes down on turn three if you have ramp into it. And I had two two drops that could ramp into it. And when you do that and you're on the offensive, that turns into a real card. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. So just looking at colors for sealed as far as what you're hoping to open, black is the best color in the set bar none for draft and or sealed. And there's a pretty significant gap between it and all the other colors. Mm -hmm. You've got a lot of the best commons. I think Myers Grasp and Final Death are probably the two best commons in the set overall. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I agree with that. 
I think you can make a case for Dreadful Apathy in there, but I, I think I like Final Reward better. Instant Speed, and it's in the best color. If you think about its uncommons, you've got Farika Spawn, Elspeth's Nightmare, Timoret, even Drag. Like That's like you know four of the best, I don't know, five, six uncommons in the set. Maybe it's just the top four. Yeah, they're all very, very good. And I think, you know, Black's got some escape going on, and it definitely wants to pair with green in Sealed. And you get these really grindy black-green escape decks that can churn through their deck and, you know, get cards in the graveyard, recast escape cards two, three, four times, and really grind the opponent out in a game of Sealed. Yeah, I mean, if Sealed, and I think generally it is about recruiting resources, unless you get a great aggro deck... When you have escape cards, if you have, you know, that magic number of three or four escape cards and then you can escape three or four times throughout the game, you, you've you've just drawn three or four cards throughout the game in a black green deck. You're, you're not supposed to be able to do that in those colors. Right. So I, I do want to put a quick note here on escape. We sort of hinted at this last week when we were discussing re-ranking the top black commons and we were talking about Venomous Hierophant and you had this point from Sam Black where he said that he thinks that card is just a 3-3 death touch draw card. And I had the chance to talk to him uh, on my stream right after we recorded, basically. And he reiterated that point. And it really started to get me thinking about cards that go to your graveyard and do something or trade with your opponent's cards and your card goes to the graveyard and theirs doesn't. And it does have this percentage of a card value tacked on like think about agonizing remorse the the discard spell but the the spell gets exiled the fact that then that adds a card to your graveyard while taking one away from your opponents or something like incendiary oracle that trades with something and then oracles in your graveyard and then your opponent's card doesn't go to the graveyard final death does the same thing as you do that that adds to your ability to escape so you know if you've got a farika spawn in your deck Every card that goes to your graveyard is a third of a Farika spawn. And that maybe sounds hyperbolic or something, but that is often how these decks play out. And so that those cards then have additional value because of how good escape is. Right. That's actual factual, assuming you find the Farika spawn either by putting it in your graveyard or drawing it. Yeah. So I think thinking about cards that way of like, I mean, even omens, even once you sack an omen, you know, you've gotten value from it entering the battlefield, you've gotten value from it scrying, and now it is an actual percentage of one of your escape cards right so thinking about cards in that way in this format i think is going to cause you to evaluate cards correctly that may look a little weirder or like may look out of place in the set and speaking of omens i do think omens in sealed go up in value a bit late in the game if your opponent has two omens sitting on the battlefield and you don't that scry four is often the difference in who comes out over those late turns of the game yeah i will say i think probably the black and the blue one are the best like Making two one ones in sealed and white isn't generally great. Dealing two damage, maybe, but like the black and the blue ones, especially, I think provide just so much value. Absolutely. So if we're talking about consensus best decks in sealed, I think you're hoping to be black green or maybe some combination of junk, which is Abzan, white green black, or Sultai, blue green black. I think those are the consensus best decks, but I, I think you're hoping to be a straight two color deck in sealed if you can pull it off. Yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about splashing in sealed. Now, uh, I think you and I are maybe on the same page. Maybe I feel a little bit more strongly about this. I, I do think splashing comes with a great cost in this sealed format. I think if you're splashing off of Altar or Omen of the Hunt or Elysian Carry Added, you're going to end up with like 20 plus mana sources in your deck, which is going to lead to flooding since games are probably going to go long. So I, I think I would make sure that your splash is absolutely necessary, like it's shoring up your removal holes or it is a, an actual factual bomb. And I think actually amulet is the best way to do it. One, because it can sort of just replace a land for you and it's a permanent that goes to the graveyard. Yeah, I agree 100%. If you're splashing, Amulet is the best way to do it. And I sort of ran into that in my GP sealed deck. I had 20 mana sources in my GP sealed deck. And I had, thankfully, two Oriata Mountains Blaze, which is the one in a red, one three enchantment creature that you can rummage. And those cards did heavy lifting for me. I Multiple games, I pitched six, seven mana sources to Oriad over the course of a game. That's crazy, the amount of mana you put into those cards. Yeah, <laughs> I will say that. Yeah. So if, if black, green, base, Abzan, Saltai are consensus best decks, that wasn't as dominant as I expected as we sort of like 
rose up the ranks of like, you know, you and I, so for folks who don't know, Ben and I started the GP 6-0, then went 6-1 and then ended 8-1. And so we were at the top tables most of the day and I saw a pretty good variety of decks. I'd say blue-white was probably the next most popular. My guess is because of Dream Trawler, like either people playing that deck correctly or just jamming white and blue cards into their deck to play Dream Trawler. But I also saw just plenty of like red, black, red, white, blue, green. I didn't feel like there were any color pairs that were like straight up dominating or straight up absent. Right. And I think blue also for Kiora Best, the Sea God, quite a bit towards the top tables. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. As far as worst colors, I think red is probably the worst color in sealed. It's got a really shallow run of commons and isn't super flexible in what its cards want to do. Really wants to be aggressive. And I think if you're playing red in sealed, the best color to pair it with is probably green. And just red, green, power and toughness did way more work than I would have expected over the course of the GP for me. Yeah, I think this sealed format and I've been kind of complaining about this as I was streaming it. I did not find this sealed format particularly interesting. Um, I think a lot of pools don't offer multiple builds, which is one of the more fun puzzles of sealed is getting to go, Ooh, here I have two decks and I can choose when I want to side into one or the other, not saying that never happened, but it was pretty rare that that happened. I think finding the quote unquote right deck is fairly obvious a lot of the time. And, and the most interesting thing and the most difficult thing was like, what are these flex slots? Like the last four or five cards felt like they could be any number of combinations of things. Yeah, I think the 20 through 23rd cards is a big deal for your pool. And I do think I was fortunate enough to get that right. And so, for example, uh, Alex, who we tested with and went to the GP, also built a red-green deck. And I think his deck was better than mine, but he put uh, Hydra's Growth in his deck and he said he didn't want it in there all day, cited it out every round. And just missing on a card or two cards like that can be a big cost over an eight or nine round tournament. Yeah, I left out Nexus Wardens. That's the 1-4 reach with Constellation gain two life. I left it out of my initial black-green deck that I played at the GP. And I sided that in almost every match, um, just against more aggressive decks or against blue-white skies. I found that card to be really important and probably should have been there over like a copy of a scavenging harpy or whatever. And speaking of cards that overperform, the Lords of Limited Secret Tech Wings of Hubris main deck is awesome in the sealed format. So on our walk over to the convention center, you were like, so what's the secret tech for sealed? What what are we going to do? Is it Wings of Hubris main? And I, you know, I, I don't know how like serious you were about it or if you were just like making a little joke, but then we both opened it and both main decked it and I was thrilled to have it in there. Oh, I was not joking. I had, so we, we both played in the LCQ, the last chance qualifier the day before, and I had it in my pool, but I also had a shadow spear, so I didn't want both equipment in my deck. And I still cited in Wings of Hubris almost every single round because it's so good. If you've got, if you're black green or like, for example, what I was, red green creatures, if you've got a reasonable number of large creatures in your deck, giving them flying turns every creature into a must kill. And the, the games tend to stall out and the boards tend to get quite stalled because people don't want to put things in the graveyard because then you get to start escaping. And I think Wings of Hubris is just a must answer card once it hits the battlefield for most sealed pools if you've got creatures with reasonable power and toughness. Yeah. Wings of Hubris is the real deal, folks. I definitely think you should be main decking it in sealed more often than not for sure. Where are you at on play versus draw in sealed? Uh, My deck, I think it's deck dependent a little bit. My deck definitely wanted to play first because I needed to curve out and beat down on the opponent. I had people, about half of my opponents chose to draw against me in the dark, uh, and it was was a mistake against my deck. Um, But I do think if you have a reasonable defensive speed or you've got, you know, two Myers grass and some other piece of cheap removal and a good curve, I think you can choose to draw in the dark and sealed. But I think I think that's pool dependent. And then after that, I think you're making decisions based on the matchup. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty firmly in the camp of drawing in the dark in this format is a mistake. Um, I do think that resources are important and so that extra card can matter, but I just think that it's too, even the, the, you know, quote unquote mid range or controlling decks can have like, you know, Tarmogoyf beetle into four, one chimera and be attacking you with a three, three on turn three. And like, you just can't afford to put people on the play who can do that. Well, I think there's also something to be said for there's a lot of powerful three and four mana rares. And if you put your opponent on the play and they play a turn four Archon of Sun's Grace, that's way better for them than if you were on the play. 
Or a turn three Nadir Kraken or something like that. Right. I, I agree with that. We got a, a question here from uh, the Discord, one of the folks we got to meet this weekend who also day two'd. Uh, Ridiel asked us, and I thought this was a, an appropriate question to answer after our, our weekend here. Uh, he said, not sure if it's within the scope of the podcast, but was wondering if you guys have plans to discuss limited GP tournament prep from a gameplay aspect. I personally had many opponents of the GP attempt to gain advantage by doing things in paper that wouldn't work on MTGO or Arena, like trying to get a favorable block by not announcing constellation triggers on a skirmisher and hoping I'd missed it becoming a 4-3 that turn. Uh, I personally believe in keeping the board state as clear as possible for everyone, but it is not the case for many high-level players, especially at Comp REL. What do you think, Ben? I think that that's probably happening. I had that happen a little bit, but not a lot. I would say... All but one of my opponents were extremely nice and a pleasure to play against. And not necessarily that they weren't trying to win or whatever, but they weren't doing things like that necessarily. And I I was trying to be extra clear about the board state because we play on MTGO. And I think if you do things like, so say your opponent makes an attack, if you go through and say, like, I found myself doing this a lot where there were heroic triggers or Sentinel's Eyes triggering a pious wayfarer that then was giving something else plus one plus one, I would go through and say, before I made blocks or did whatever, I would say, so this creature's a 2-3, this creature's a 4-3, that creature's a 6-7. Is that correct? And your opponent like has to agree to that. Like They can't lie to you, essentially, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it is. it feels like the rules should be amended. I, I believe the rules should be amended for things like that. Like It's weird that like some things you have to announce and some things you don't. Like the Pious Wayfarer trigger, you would have to announce, right? Like, I'm, like trigger giving targeting something giving it plus one plus one but like the what what's the stampede rider the two three that trigger just happens right it gets plus one plus one if you have a creature with power four you don't have to announce that it just feels like you're trying to game the system to to steal the lr genius or grifter that feels pretty grifter to me yeah i i was announcing my stuff all day i did get a warning over the course of the gp which was pretty embarrassing so i had two warden of the chain in my deck which is the one red green four four trample that can't attack unless you control a creature power four greater and my opponent had a dust charger and they attacked me and i had reason to believe they had plus two plus two in their hand they played it the game before and so i was thinking okay i don't need to block here i can race i can crack them back and i so i attacked them the next turn with my four four warden of the chained and I didn't have a four-powered creature, and we both wrote down the damage, and then my opponent was like, wait, you don't have a four-powered creature. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. It was a total accident on my part. So I called a judge on myself, and the the judge came over and was asking us some questions, you know, and pulled me away from the table and asked me, how familiar are you with this card? <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm familiar enough that I should not have made that mistake, but... I play on MTGO a lot and it doesn't let me attack with it when I'm on MTGO. So I, I'm not used to playing with it in paper, which is why that happened. I'm really sorry. Like I don't want my opponent to take the damage and it, it was all fine. And my opponent was very chill about it. That's pretty funny. Yeah. So that was very, I was very embarrassed after that. So to, to sort of, I mean, I don't feel like we've, we've maybe quite answered this question. I'm not sure how to, like we didn't do a lot of like in paper prep. I think the biggest thing that I tried to do with all my sealed decks, at least I didn't really do it for my draft decks was to just be aware of the triggers that I had to remember. Like we were playing some practice games. I did have a second deck in my GP sealed pool. I had a red, white aggro deck with Daxos and we were playing, I was playing that against you and I kept forgetting the Daxos triggers. Like that was a really hard card for me to remember. So I would just try and like make a list of the things that your deck does that are like what are the constellation triggers you need to make sure you're remembering or you know what what sort of things do you need to make sure you want to respond to i made the mistake of like not fighting something with my pelucranos in our last chance trial before Wost Rider came into play because I like wanted Pelucranos to go to the graveyard and I was like, let Wost Rider resolve and then went to fight something and they sacked it in response. And I was like, oh, I just wasted my mana and Pelucranos doesn't die. So like things like that, like playing a little slower in those situations or like really taking the time to think about how those things are going to work out and just being aware of like what triggers your deck has to offer. Yeah, that was helpful for me. I, I missed a bunch of triggers during the first two rounds of the last chance qualifier. And then after that, I tightened my ship up and started doing exactly what you said was noting every card in my deck that I needed to know the interaction of. I think that was the toughest part about playing in paper for me was balancing, making sure I remembered triggers, made sure I knew what was going on on my opponent's board as far as like what, what Ridiel was talking about here, which is like just what's the power and toughness of creatures as well as thinking of a game plan. Like what's my game plan? What's their game plan? 
plan. It's a lot of stuff to be doing all at one time. Yeah, for sure. Well, we've, we've sort of hinted at your GP deck. You know, we both had green black decks in the last chance qualifier. So we both 4-0'd, which is kind of crazy. So we joined a lot, the first last chance qualifier on Friday with me and you and five other of our like friends that we were there with. And it's pretty amazing that you and I both won out and didn't face each other. Yeah, very lucky. That was perhaps not the smartest thing for our whole group to do, but whatever. So so we did that. We got the four wins with green black decks. Then we got our two buys. So, you know, rolled on in to the GP. And uh, and I had the fortune of opening four of my six rares were really, really great in green black. I had, I had Gravebreaker Lamia, Nightmare Shepherd, Mantle of the Wolf, and Satessin Champion, and then just all the support. I had Removal, Myers Grasp, Elspeth's Nightmare, Final Death. It, it just was like a really, really cohesive deck. As I was like fanning out the cards before the person opposite me was supposed to register my pool, I was like salivating at it. <laughs> yeah, if, if you could have chosen what cards to open, you would have chosen a lot of the cards that you opened. Yes, 100%. Right, short of like, you know, QR beats the Sea God with blue support or dream trawler with blue white support yeah i guess though i i mean i think all told i would rather play a deck like this i would rather be able to play with escape cards and sealed than not yeah that makes absolute sense to me that mechanic is super powerful and sealed so i did not have the pleasure of salivating while i opened my sealed pool i opened my packs and the person across from me was like oh it'll get better open the second pack oh well you're just saving it open the third pack Okay, it's it's got to be coming now. Like the whole time they were talking to me about how my packs had to be getting better, which was <laughs> a little tilting. Oh, no. Um, so I ended up building, I think, building optimally for my pool, which was very weak. Uh, my deck was red-green splashing a final death because I had little to no interaction in red and green. So my removal suite was a fateful end, a return to nature, and a warbriar blessing. So I really felt like I needed a final death to exile something like Plukranos or a Freak of Spawn. I just didn't want to be cold dead to those cards um so it was splashing a swamp a traveler's amulet and i had an elysian carry added so i had my three sources which was a little loose normally that would make me nervous but i also had the two oriads of mountains blaze that could let me rummage away the final death if i wasn't able to cast it so best cards in my deck two warden of the chained i did have the first Aroan games as the best card in my pool i think and in those colors I also had a tectonic giant as an on-color red rare, and then I had another green rare in Arasta. But Arasta was not great in my deck because it didn't have four power, and I really needed to turn on the Warden of the Chains. So my four power creatures included two uh, Flummoxed Cyclops, a Nylea's Huntmaster, and a Lozum Chimera, and a Scophos Warleader. So a lot of really derpy common creatures with power four or greater the best cards in my pool honestly as far as gameplay went were wings of hubris and the two oriata mountains blaze and then the first row in games and the the red rare obviously but my games played out a few different ways over the course of the day either i was able to stall the board until i could draw wings of hubris and win with wings of hubris on my four powered things or oriata mountains blaze let me discard six seven eight lands over the course of the game to just out card my opponent eventually to be able to get enough advantage to be able to start attacking and or then like also in tandem finding my wings of hubris or i did have really good curve out draws uh, with an elysian carry added and a wolf willow haven to ramp me so sometimes i went two drop into four drop into warden of the chain or sometimes i just went two drop warden of the chain four power creature and just had some really good curve out draws um, but i also had to play super tight with my pool and i was very pleased with how i played over the course of the weekend and sideboarded really well Lots of times my sideboard cards won me games. I sideboarded in a Hydra's Growth against an opponent that I didn't think had removal, and that ended up being the difference in the game. Sighted in an Active Treason one time that ended up being the difference in a game. So played really tight all weekend and really eked max value out of my medium cards. Yeah, a lot of my cards obviously were very, very busted, but I will throw out two cards that were strong overperformers for me, and that's Agonizing Remorse and Elspeth's Nightmare. I found being able to disrupt my opponent's hand very very effective like if your opponent ever mulligans and you get to agonize and remorse them feels like cheating and if you get to curve remorse into nightmare that also feels like cheating yeah elspeth's nightmare is a back-breaking card whenever it kills something any point early in the game yeah agreed do you have any patterns that you found and how your games played out or anything like that no i mean it was generally like just try and stabilize you know the play pattern of gravebreaker lamia binning of farika spawn often happened you know whether or not to like 
dangle Satessin Champion on three or like wait to be able to play it on five with an enchantment, like something like a Skola Grove Dancer or a Warbriar Blessing or something. Like those were interesting decision points. But I really knew like I was like my card quality has to be better than or equal to all of my opponents. Like this is a very, very strong cohesive deck. And so it just felt like I needed to just not die and then I would win. And be patient with those return to natures, baby. Be patient with my one return to nature. Yeah, don't spew your return to nature on a Nyxborn Colossus. Like, save it for the Shadow Spear or whatever. Yeah, my pool sort of forced me to be conservative with my removal because I only had a few removal spells and the one return to nature. And I do think I used them very appropriately over the course of the sealed rounds. I also just ran super hot. I mean, I I got lucky. I did put myself in positions to get lucky. You kept saying like every round I would come up to you with just this sheepish look on my face. Yeah, you looked every time you you'd be you looked like you lost, and I'd be like, "Oh no, what happened?" You'd be I like, was just embarrassed that my deck was winning. Like I won, I'm five zero. I I couldn't believe it. I wish I could have watched some of your games because I'm sure you were playing just so perfectly. I, I played really well. Like I, and it's not a brag. Like I'm very proud of how I played in day one. Well, it showed. You got to got to the eight one record with a pile, and you can see both of our decks on Twitter if you want to check those out. Um, and we also tweeted out our draft decks. I'm wondering if you want to run through what it was like to do a timed draft at the GP. Yeah, that was my first experience. It was just super cool being there, like sitting. You know, you could see pros. I didn't. I, I that's not true. I had pros in my draft pod, but not like big names like you were dropping, like Chris Pakula and Andrew Ellenbogen. But had had very good people in my pods. It was it was just cool. The stamped cards, the person calling the draft and you have to, you know, fan your cards out. It was it was exactly what you see when you watch GP coverage or the PT. And it was just really special to be a part of that. So if we want to run through our drafts, how did your first draft go? Um, So, you know, I, I kept saying this like I bet like people are going to overdraft black because like it has the best cards and, you know, pros always like hold on to their first few picks. And so they're going to force black. So I was like, I'm going to soft avoid black at these drafts or see what that's going to happen. And that did not end up happening for me. <laughs> so I uh, first picked, I had the choice between the White Wrath Rare and Farika's Spawn as pack one, pick one. And we had sort of decided that that card, the Wrath isn't very good, right? Yeah, the Wrath is, I mean, it's fine. It's not great. And it's especially worse with Escape as a mechanic in the set. Yeah. So I took the Farika's Spawn. Again, I just think like it's best uncommon. I know what that card does. It's splashable if I end up there. And while we're on that discussion, we should plug, we did a limited testing meeting where we laid out all the commons of each color as well as like laid out the best commons and uncommons versus all the rares. And you were doing some savagely good editing on those right now. And we're hoping to release those over the course of this week. So quick plug for that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to, I'm going to try and get one of them out every day. So hopefully the black video is done. So that'll be up by the time this episode is released. And then we'll try and do one every day. Cause like the longer I wait on them, the less relevant they become. So I think getting them out in the world earlier rather than later is going to be good. So hopefully that's uh, some, some nice content for folks. It was certainly really helpful to do that. So yeah, so then moving on to pack one, pick two, I took a Grey Merchant over a Daxos. I think Daxos is a better card than Grey Merchant, but having the Farika spawn, that felt like a tiebreaker. And then pack three, I had the choice between Timurit and Myers Grasp. And I did take Timurit over it because I think that's the better card. And that sort of just solidified me into being on rails for black pack one. Like, right. You have you have to draft black come what may after that start. Yeah, exactly. So I was like nearly mono black at the end of pack one, got this and felt like I had hooked up Andrew Ellenbogen on my left into white. And that did. That is what bore out. He ended up drafting red white. He posted his deck on Twitter as well. Um, and he opened Erebos pack two pick one and shipped it over to me, which felt amazing. Yeah, that feels great. Yeah. Um, and both Grim Physician and Discordant Piper were in my pack two, my opening pack two, and they both wheeled. They were the only black cards. So that made me feel pretty good. And then I think I met the only other black drafter who was black red, mostly red, but like a black red sacrifice deck. I met him in round three. But I have to imagine that he and I were the only black drafters at the table. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I should probably mention that I opened Shadow Spear pack two and pack three. Yeah, that's certainly going to help any draft pick out, right? <laughs> we decided that was the best pack one, pick one in the set. I think it's the best pack one, pick one in the set. Yeah, probably not the most raw power, but certainly powerful and flexibility. I felt pretty sheepish 
when I so I ended up in mostly black with a little blue. I felt pretty sheepish in the games where I had stuck a shadow spear and cast thirst for meaning and then pitched a land and a shadow spear. Oh, wow. Just six rags. Well, it's legendary. So and it's like, well, if you're against black red, like they probably can't deal with the first one. So like. I'll just discard the other one. I don't need the backup. And it just always felt I felt really like I was like, I'm so, so sorry. Um, And I ended up going two one in that draft. Uh, I faced in round two, uh, the guy who eventually ended up winning the GP. Uh, He had a blue white, really strong draw go deck. You know, I keep saying that blue is a hard color for me to wrap my head around. But this playing against this deck, I really came into fruition like it was just Three thirst for meanings, two deny the divines, two ichthyomorphosis, a, a blue omen, maybe a second one of those. Like really, really patient. It also had Dream Trawler, but I didn't see Dream Trawler until the end of game three, and I don't think it really even mattered. Um, like he was just like really good at stabilizing. I got him to three in game two and five in game three, and then he just like started nugging me for two with a life linking Pegasus every turn and clawed his way back yeah yeah very close games i watched the end of the third game and i saw the dream trawler on the other side of the battlefield it was a bummer but you know it doesn't feel that bad to lose to the the winner of the gp so my draft one uh was not ideal i was hoping to not have to draft blue because i wasn't super comfortable with it kind of like you're saying um so my open my pack one pick one and protean thaumaturge was far and away the best card in the pack so i took that as my pack one pick one uh second pick dreadful apathy was far and away the best card in the pack nothing else was even in consideration so took it there third pick final reward was far and away the best card in the pack so took it there and since i got the third pick final reward i was thinking okay maybe black's gonna be open uh, pack one pick four was a very, very weak pack. The only card even really worth playing in it was Loathsome Chimera. So I took that, started with blue card, white card, black card, green card. And I just hear a Maz in my head saying, quit just making a Maz proud. Man. Yeah. <laughs> and then pack one pick five got a return to nature out of a very weak pack. So maybe starting to nudge towards green. Pack one pick six took a binding of the Titans out of an otherwise empty pack. So the packs were pretty weak that I saw in my seat. And then pack one, pick seven, I got past Thassa's Oracle, which is the blue, blue, one, three rare that when it ETBs, you scry equal to your devotion to blue. And if that is less than the number of cards in your deck, you win the game on the spot. So I picked that and I have drafted a Thassa's Oracle 3-0 deck on Magic Online. So I felt pretty comfortable doing that, assuming there was a Sweet Oblivion opened in the pod. And I thought since I got the Thassa's Oracle that late, nobody knew about the deck. So if a Sweet Oblivion got opened, I would get it. Pack one, pick eight, I took a Deny the Vine. I wheeled a couple turtles in pack one. So I thought I was on track to draft blue control. And then I was towing the line between black and green the whole draft. Neither one really apparent. I knew black wasn't really open from my right, but I was getting it in pack two. So I thought I didn't really care which color I paired along with blue. But no Sweet Oblivion ever got opened. And for some reason, I never got the blue card draw either. So I didn't get any Thirst for Meanings. There was one I passed early, and I didn't see any of the blue Omen of the Sea. And I would have picked it because we had that pegged as our top blue common for these blue control decks going into draft. So didn't see any of those. So my deck ended up where it was sort of caught between wanting to self-mill and just being a regular old control deck, but I didn't have any velocity to get through my deck. And it, it was pretty bad. It was a it was a blue-green base, splashing final reward, a couple of the black-green uncommon, and Erebos's intervention. So I had powerful cards, but I had a lot of mana sources and no way to get through the mana sources that were in my deck, kind of like we were talking about the nightmare situation for sealed. I had 20 mana sources and no ways to discard, really. I had a couple omens to scry with. So ended up 0-3 in that. I could have maybe won my third round. Uh, got a little unlucky that my opponent top-decked Pelucranos with, uh, after I had tapped out with two Deny the Divines in hand, and I knew they didn't have it in hand at that point. So um, could have maybe won the third round, but ended up 0-3 in my first draft, which felt pretty bad, but I would not trade the experience for the world. It was an absolute blast just getting to do the drafts on day two, and I am very hungry to do it again now. Yeah, for sure. I, I had a really tough second pod. sounded like kind of how your first draft went. I definitely herpaderped around, like took a white card into a green card, white card, black card, ended with like a bunch of middling blue cards. And then sort of found my way into blue black, like black being open again and like getting past a Myers grasp and uh, wheeling a devourer of memories from my opening pack in pack two. So like figuring out that that blue black was open. And here's something here's a card interaction that I 
didn't realize. And then the only time it came up, I missed it. Like I, it was too <laughs> oh, late. No. So Gravebreaker Lamia. So I ended a deck, I had a blue black deck with Gravebreaker Lamia as my second draft. And I didn't have a single escape card to go find. Yikes. So I was just like binning, like taking a land out of my deck or whatever when I cast it. But I didn't realize that that triggers Devourer of Memories. Ooh. Because you're pulling a card from your library and putting it into your graveyard. So that would trigger it. Yeah. And so I like, I had this turn. I was like being the aggressor. I had like a 2-1 Harpy Flyer and the Devourer of Memories. And I was like, well, I'll take a turn off from attack from like pumping man into devour to get my four four lifelink on the board. But if I had done that pre combat instead of post combat, then it would have I would have like realized the trigger because as I was pulling the card out of my library, I was like, wait a minute, what does this card say? <laughs> so uh, just a little little fun little interaction there. But it wasn't like a great deck. Like it had removal. It sort of like had could like stick some flyers early and back them up with some counter magic. But it was not a powerful deck by any stretch. Yeah, that makes sense. And you felt good about it. You ended up what? 1-1 one, one and drawing with that deck? Yeah, so I lost my first round against Red Green Beats. One, my second round I won against Blue White. Uh, felt like kind of control. My opponent had the the O2 that mills two with Constellation. And they they were milling me a lot. And I had Thassa's Oracle in my hand the whole game. And so they had this turn where I had seven cards in my library and they went, enchantment 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 and then i drew a card my last card in my library and i went thassa's oracle and they like just sort of looked at it and they were like oh no <laughs> and so that's how i won round 14 was i finally got the thassa's oracle trigger win i hadn't done that yet very nice yeah and then i was like pretty confident that i could i was at 21st place and i thought like well if i draw i can my opponent and i draw i can probably get top 32 I just got got nudged out. He got 32 and I got 33. So pretty big cash difference there. But, you know, I, I think that was probably the right call. I was pretty fried. I was trying to get to, to New York like I, I, I probably could have. You know, I want I offered the draw. He said no. I won game one. And what I should have done was play game two. And then if I lost that offer, the draw again. But I was just like I went up the game. I was like, he's going to accept. So I'm just going to offer the draw here. Right. Yeah. Um, and he did. So that, that might have not been like maybe if I am in that situation again, I won't do that. It's just it. those those days are long. I feel so fried after like, you know, we did four rounds on Friday, seven rounds on Saturday and then six rounds on Sunday. It's a lot of paper magic. It's a lot of paper magic that I my my run ended pretty uh, inauspiciously or I don't know if that's the right word or not. Um, so I I won my first round with this draft. So my second draft, I had a choice pack one pick one between Thassa's Oracle, uh, Renata called to the hunt, which is the two GG uh, star three with power equal to your devotion to green that gives other creatures a plus one plus one counter when they come into play had a Daxos as an option, the white-white two-star where toughness is equal to your devotion to white, and whenever a creature ETBs or dies, you gain a life, and a Mire Triton, one black for the 2-1 death touch. Whenever it ETBs, you gain two life. What would you be on there? Pack one, pick one. I would be on Renata. That was what I took. It was a tough choice for me. I kind of, in my heart of hearts, think Thassa's Oracle is the best card there, but I was a little gun-shy after O3-ing with my my bid for glory with a Thassa's Oracle deck. Yeah, in, that, that makes sense. In the first draft. So I took Renata, and then pack one, pick two, I had a choice between Final Reward, Dreadful Apathy, which is the two white enchantment, uh, enchanted creature can't attack or block, and then you can pay two and a white to exile it. And then a Mischievous Chimera, which is the blue-red uncommon. Yeah, I think I would just take Final Reward there, following up Renata, like just take the best, most flexible card. That was what I did as well. Uh, so took a Final Reward there. Pack 1, Pick 3 had a choice between a Destiny Spinner and a Reverend Hoplite, and took the Destiny Spinner there to go along with my Renata. And then Pack 1, Pick 4 had a choice between Venomous Hierophant reverend hoplite and daybreak chimera it's tough like you really want to take the hierophant right to go with your final reward but it, but you you have to be higher on that card than everyone else at, at your table that's what i would think yeah so maybe you take a white card there like hoplite and chimera fourth is that is that a signal i thought about it but then i felt like so i had already passed a daxos and a dreadful apathy and a reverend hoplite so it felt like i'd passed a pretty strong white signal so I took the Hierophant there. That was a really hard pick. My draft would have been super easy if I had gone Daxos, Dreadful Apathy, Reverend Hoplite, you know, David sure. Chimera or Red Reverend Hoplite. I had a nuts white deck. Um, but I took the Hierophant there and then I got pushed off 
both black and green. This was a tough draft, and I I ended up with a fine deck, and I was proud of how I navigated it, but it was it was hard. So pack one, pick five, then literal no black or green cards in the pack after starting green card, black card, green card, black card. Um, so there was a commanding presence and sentinel's eyes in the pack, and I decided that that was enough of a white signal that I was going to take commanding presence, try to move into white, and I was fairly confident I was going to get it in pack three and hoping that I could get some or some of a second color, whether that was black or green or whatever, uh, in pack two to pair with it. So took a commanding presence there with the intention of going white. Pack one, pick six, took a pious wayfarer with no worthwhile black or green cards in the pack. So felt good about jumping ship on black and green and ended up continuing to take white cards in pack one. And then pack two, pick two, my neighbor passed me an Adir Kraken that they opened. So I took that because I still didn't really feel like black or green were open and paired blue with white and ended up white was open enough. Um, I could have had a lot better deck if I'd moved in earlier, but had a good playable blue white tempo deck. And, you know, speaking of being tired, my day ended. I won round one, played well. Round two, I played against a, a very good opponent that had Elspeth's Nightmare in their deck. And so I was game three and I was on the play, slam my Nadir Kraken on turn three. They untap, slam Elspeth's nightmare, and apologized. Oof. And I was so like, I just like, I was done at that point. Yeah, <laughs> like I was ready to be done. I'd played a lot of magic, and I made a mistake I would never make in a million years. And right next to me, two seats down, there was like a really intense judge call with Seth Manfield going on too, uh, where he had, where he had attacked and was like trying to take back his attack, and the judge was there like trying to sort it all out. So like half my attention was there, and half my attention was feeling sorry that my opponent had. <laughs> <laughs> Elspeth Nightmare might have deer Kraken. So I untapped and I played a 3-1 with Entrancing Liar in my hand. So my opponent also got to take my Entrancing Liar Ooh. out of my hand instead of... I would never make that mistake in a million years, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was just like tired and distracted and I maybe could have won that if I had not made that boneheaded mistake, but um, dropped after that because I needed to catch a flight. So I didn't end up playing round three and that was the right decision. I would have been very stressed had I tried to play round three and catch my flight. But... Yeah. Overall, weekend was an absolute blast. And going into the drafts at 8-1 and thinking, you know, if I 3-0 or 2-1 won a draft, I could maybe be in top eight. Like, that's insane. I would I would take those odds every day of the week. Like, the drafts didn't go my way. You know, 0 felt pretty bad. But sign me up again to be 8-1, and I feel like I've got a puncher's chance along with everybody else there. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's an, it's certainly intimidating seeing so many of the pros there, but like, I wonder what's going to happen once the buys go away. Like having two buys at a limited GP felt like cheating. It really felt like cheating. I am so much less impressed with the pros day twoing all the time. It yeah. felt so much easier. It, with two buys, you only have to go four and two. And as, as bad as my deck was, I was thinking, okay, I could go four and two. And turns out I did better than that. But it's realistic even with a medium pool with good play and a little bit of luck to go four two. And if you have three buys, you only have to go three two. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, very insane. So yeah, I think I'm glad that buys are going away as somebody that's not super invested in paper magic. And while I say, you know, like raring to do this again, not anytime soon. I don't know how people do this every single weekend. I'm totally burnt out. Like I was like barely functional last night. Yeah. I, I mean, I got up and went to school today and I was a zombie all day. <laughs> yeah, it was such a fun weekend. It did. I mean, obviously winning feels good. And so that did inspire me to say, maybe I'll maybe I'll try and make a few more of these each year than uh, than just Vegas. Team Limited coming up in Seattle, baby. Team Limited is another <laughs> another ball of wax <laughs> there, Ben. Yeah, I think that's a great place to wrap us up. Thank you again to everyone who came up and said hello, really meant the world to us and hoping to run it back and see you all again whenever we choose to go to our next GP, whether it's Vegas or whatever that may be. And thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Uh, check out our YouTube page. We are going to have a rolling number of videos this week. We also have all of our showdown videos. Ben, we got to do another showdown video, our first one for Theros Beyond Death. But yeah, check out our YouTube page. We're going to have these rolling videos of our limited like sort of testing meeting, whatever that we did while we were in New Jersey for the GP. Those are going to be out. And I think they're going to be really, really good content, certainly good fodder for conversation. You can check out our streams. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter. And you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, please shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.
What are your thoughts on Theros Beyond Death Sealed? If I were going to thumb... Thumb. <laughs> what, what were you going to thumb? This has been a lot of word burgers, as you say. <laughs> um, 